Welcome back to Straight to DVD. Raphael. Yo, dude, Michael. How you doing? Romeo. Romeo. That's me, dude. It's, it is What's I. What's up, dude? Dude, we're here once again. Another lovely week in the world of cinema. It's true. We're back. We're back here in the world of cinema. Um, actually, very, very excited about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say outright that I think this is the first time that we've gone into an episode in recent memory for Mm -hmm. a new film Mm -hmm. where I was like, this is what it's all about, man. Mm -hmm. Wait, going into the film that way or going into the episode that way? Going into the episode. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think like the last time. You and I watched a brand new movie, and I was like, that was spectacular. Um, I mean, for like the purposes of this podcast, I don't think I don't think there has been anything new that we've been like like everything that we rave about is old or That's older. True. At least a couple years old. Right. Uh I which, you know, is very depressing because I think it communicates the state yeah. of contemporary film. Uh, there's some there's good movies yeah. around. It's just like a pain in the ass to get to them and you know all the, I, all that stuff. I think the issue these days is like so much of what we really respond to mm-hmm. uh is very few and far between and it's not mm-hmm. raved about uh quite as commercially as yeah. say certain blockbusters are. Exactly. Um, which is fine, you know, people go into film for different reasons. Uh, we're in film for all of the reasons, you know, we yeah, want all of them. We want to love it. We want to hate it. We want to feel lukewarm about it. We want to complain about it for years to come. Uh, <laughs> and it's rare. It's, it's a rare treat when we get to look forward to raving about something. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since we've been able to rave about something, but yeah. I'm happy to do it. I wish we got to rave about it earlier. TBH. If I'm being, you know, H. It's about true. it and we're always h here on the pod yeah uh, so <laughs> never 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 elling no never <laughs> uh we today are discussing the latest mm. flick by cinema mogul paul tomas anderson is he a mogul sure Sorry, that was an unfortunate time for me to take a sip of water. No, that's all right. I mean, it's a nice hefty pause. Uh, I I think he is. I mean, it's not every director who can get Mm -hmm. Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper in like two scene roles, you know? Yeah. No, Uh, that's fair. I think that... I've always felt this way, and it's convenient because the two have worked together so closely mm-hmm. uh, a number of times. I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is to directing what Daniel Day-Lewis is to acting. Wow. That's a hot take. Indeed. I Okay. I don't know if I agree with what you're saying, but I also <laughs> don't fully understand what you're saying. So sure. maybe like unpack that. Uh, then, sure, I will unpack, elaborate, and expand. Yeah, dude, unwrap so, that shit. Yeah. 
So essentially what I'm implying is that uh, like Daniel Day, Paul Thomas picks his projects very particularly, very sparingly. Um, He's not interested in what some might say is typical contemporary cinema. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul Thomas, I feel, is very interested in very self-contained stories about character and communicating that character via his job, directing. Mm -hmm. He's very interested in communicating things about a character, a plot, a frame, scene composition with his tool. And his tool is his (laughs) camera. Oh, it just it feels like he is he's that so tool. he's so particular and committed to his craft his craft being the craft of knowing where to direct a camera and how to direct what's on the camera to do something in the same way that Daniel Day-Lewis is a part of that as one okay. of the things being directed I don't you know, know if that helps. You know what? what I like it I like where you took that um I thought you were going more with just cause I'm so used to like to just hot take culture. I thought you were just going to go with DDL goat actor of all time, which is kind of redundant greatest of all time actor of all time. Um, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> goat director of all time. Indeed. <laughs> greatest Daniel of all Day-Lewis time is, is the greatest of all time. And he's the actor of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest of all time, actor of all time. Yes, exactly. And, and out, out, out. Go, the goat, goat out, goat out. And yeah. the 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 goat doubt, the doubt. Yes. Yeah. The, the exactly. director of all time. Um. Um. Yeah. But no, I I totally get the connection that you're making between the two of them and their dedication to what it is that they craft, and obviously DDL is part of what someone like PTA is crafting. Um, But like in terms of their abilities to craft things and be particular in ways that could be probably seen as annoying to anyone else around them, like they, they can do that because they're, they're as great as they are. Absolutely. And an argument could be made that they are among the greatest of all time in terms of what they do. So it's interesting. I was I was thinking about this coming into this episode, and you know, obviously mm-hmm. we're going to dive into the movie here momentarily. But you know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to talk about Paul Thomas uh, generally prior Paul to Tommy. Paul Tomus prior Pete to Tom Pete Thompsons Pete Thompsons prior to getting specific with this film. Uh, in that you know, it's funny because I don't want to jinx the man because I feel like we kind of jinxed. Uh, Denis Villeneuve a little bit with Dune. Okay. Um, because I think prior, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, prior to seeing Dune, and, and you like Dune a lot, I like Dune. Um, all <laughs> also of his, a, a good yeah, amount. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just, I want to be clear about that. Just in, in our Dune episode, just because I wasn't raving about the film does not mean that I didn't like it. I liked Dune. We ended up in the same place. Right. Which exactly. is hilarious. Two, two sides of the same coin and the coin yeah. ended up on its side. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So prior to Dune, I was saying like, oh, Denis Villeneuve, like the man can't miss. 
every mm-hmm. single one of his films I've loved. Uh, and then I saw Dune and I was like, oh, I really like this. And I think the biggest downfall was like, I expected to love it because I've loved everything else. Um, with Paul Tommy, uh, I was worried the same situation was going to happen here. I love all of his other stuff. There is one film that I need to rewatch and I think you know what mm-hmm. that is. Uh, I love I love all of his other stuff, and I was worried that oh no, am I going to like this as much as his other stuff? I yeah. I did pretty darn close, a lot closer than Dune to Villeneuve's other stuff. Uh, Licorice Pizza, I think, is just peak Paul Thomas in terms of like his style and what he's interested in and how he does those things. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and yeah, we'll get into the movie, but I do think it's fun to kind of talk about Pete, like the idea of PTA. Um, cause yeah, dude, he's like, it's funny cause PTA and, and Denny probably have like the same number of films in their filmography. And Denny's only been working since like 08 or 09. And Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie came out in like 97. Right. Um, yeah. But he also directed Boogie Nights when he was like 25, which is super <laughs> depressing. <laughs> uh, like, what, what the fuck? What have we done? Uh, <laughs> we talk about Boogie Nights. We, we, yeah, we talk about Boogie Nights. It's, yeah, we drink a bunch of beers and, and talk about Boogie Nights. And we, you, know, you put your hand on someone's shoulder and you say, dude, the thing about Boogie Nights is. Um, meanwhile, he's just out making all-time classic bangers at that age. Uh, he made two <laughs> phenomenal movies before the age of 30. Like he oh. made Boogie Nights and Magnolia before he turned 30. Oh, I just turned 30 and like the, the most I've done is I've learned what kind of tea I like. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's so depressing. But no, but I mean, he Paul Thomas is probably still like relatively young as far as like directors go. So like I kind of want to say he's still in the prime of his career, which is – an absurd thing to think because he's already made so many amazing movies. Um, like he's already made all time classics and he could be at a point where he is just now like starting to hit his stride. Like he could make another like six or seven movies that are all amazing, which is an absurd thought. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I, I totally feel what you're saying about like going into licorice pizza, maybe thinking, Oh, well, I dig this one as much as I dig the other ones. Um, but I kind of went in on the flip side of that. Like, my relationship with PTA, I was kind of as recent as like four years ago, like four or five years ago, I was like, PTA is an overrated director. Um, mm. I like the one time I tried to watch Boogie Nights, I couldn't get into it and I didn't finish it. Um, and then I like I couldn't do like Punch Drunk Love like didn't connect with me. Uh, the first time I saw There Will Be Blood, we, it came out when we were like fifteen or something. Um, so you're like, I think back to when I was fifteen and it was all like Scorsese and like Tarantino movies, and this is titled There Will Be Blood, and Daniel Day Lewis is in it. So I'm expecting like a Tarantino like like just like fuck fest of violence and and people dropping f bombs and and other stuff. Um, and it wasn't that. But then I rewatched no, – no, I, I watched The Master uh, for the first time a couple of years ago. And that movie like absolutely knocked my socks off. Um, and it was at that point that I got like this newfound love for PTA. 
Um, and then I went in and like dug into like some more of his catalog. Like I did like Magnolia and Heart Eight, his first movie. I, I rewatched There Will Be Blood and like I totally just like I, I had this like newfound love for for Paul Thomas Anderson. So then and that was like all leading up to Licorice Pizza coming out. Um, and like all I saw was a poster. I didn't even see a trailer. I just saw the poster with Alana Heim um, looking cool AF. And I was like, yeah, dude, this movie is going to be pretty flipping rad. Um, go to see it in theaters, which is, in my opinion, like I think this movie deserves a theater viewing. Um, I know that's not how you watched it, but I, I truly think that like this movie benefits from seeing it in theaters. Um, and it was like one of the best theater experiences I've had in recent memory. Um, I don't remember walking out of a movie just like smiling at the fact that I saw something uh just so cool, just like a director, just totally on his game. And it kind of seemed like, like it came across in the movie that like the dude wasn't even trying, like he just made a really good, he just like farted out an amazing movie. Um, which to me is like the most impressive part of Licorice Pizza. I, I think that's what's so cool about Licorice Pizza and sort of how it's special when you compare it to his other work. I was thinking about that a lot while watching it. I was like, how does this film compare to his other work? Um, and it, it, you know, it started getting me to think about and realize that in some form or another, most of his films are kind of fucked up love stories to some degree. Yeah. Um, like, you know, punch drug love. It's, you know, it's a fucked up love story. There will be mm -hmm. blood. It's a fucked up love story about this man who hates people and his mm -hmm. adopted son. <laughs> yeah. um, fucking um, the even master, the master, the master yeah. uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix uh, looking for something to love. Yeah. Uh, fucking. Um, but even his fucked up love with uh, with uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. Like right. Exactly. Um, and then you get to this film. And what's so interesting about this is, yes, the love story is fucked up, but it's so pure and ultimately happy in such a way that I feel like none of his other films really uh, come to or end on. And and what's its greatest asset, I think, is a film. And this is it, it, it's interesting because like the ending of it sort of made me think about Minari a little bit. Is mm -hmm. the movie itself is really so simple. It's just a slice of life between yeah, a slice. These, ah, yeah. slice <laughs> between these two young people in LA in the 70s. And what's interesting in addition to their relationship with one another, it's everything else that's happening around mm -hmm. them, which the movie references <laughs> a lot. And not only do both of the two characters end up meeting a lot of people that one could say are part of the bigger picture of the world. There are a lot of scenes where like the news is on and Alana's mm -hmm. asking Gary, do you even know what's happening out there? And not, not to get ahead of myself and yeah. ultimately reach the point Dude, of the film or what I think the movie's about. I think ultimately like what the movie is communicating is that there's always something else, something grander, something more important going on, but really what's special is just this one other person in front mm -hmm. of you who you're experiencing it with. Uh, in spite of how different you and that person may be, the connections you find with that person and how much you care about them in spite of what 
you may think is out there because that's what Alana's doing the whole movie, right? Like Gary's always her her rock, her bedrock. Mm-hmm. She her always, yeah. Yeah, but she's always trying to find another guy or another person or another opportunity. And mm-hmm. none of them ever end up going the way she's intending them to because that age old adage, what you're looking for has always been right in front of you. That's Dude, what this movie felt about to me. That was that was beautiful, what Thank you just you. said. Everything that you said was I think that that's a perfect way to to kind of sum up this this movie. And I feel like this is a word we're gonna come back to a lot, but it is hard to describe this movie as anything other than special. Um like the feeling that you walk away from this movie. And I think you, you maybe touched on this a little bit too, is like, there's like a certain charm to this movie that isn't there in a lot of PTA and other PTA movies. Um, Like, I think a lot of other PTA movies, especially his later works, like, like there will be blood and like the master and, and phantom thread. Um, They're, they're not so much like dark movies. They're just like, they're like really, they're like really heavy and almost like hard to get into. They're almost a challenge. It's almost like he's like challenging you as an audience member. He's like daring you to like this movie. Like I fucking dare you like walk away enjoying there will be blood. Like you can recognize it as an amazing masterpiece of a film, but it's not necessarily an enjoyable experience. Like it's not something that puts a smile on your face unless you're some kind of like weird sicko, <laughs> but, but licorice I, pizza. I, I think I'm a weird sicko. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, sign me up there. We're, we're both a couple of weird sickos. Um, but no, but Licorice Pizza, it's it, it's it's really different from those movies because it's like it's something kind of pure. Um it's it's like this it has this weird it obviously has an innocence because um because the two main characters are on the younger side and they're both like really naive and and struggling to find themselves. Um so that like innocence and that charm is kind of inherent to uh, to the movie that he's that he's telling but it it's also like pretty amazing that he's able to pull it off because the, because of how simple this movie is um there's like no plot it's really just like a simple hangout movie and a simple um i guess we can say love story even though i guess there are people who have issues with the love story aspect of this movie and that's something we can talk about later um but it's like a really just it's just a really simple movie uh, that's kind of about nothing but at the end of the day is also about everything. Um, I think that PTA is just like, he's able to make movies and he's able to present them in a way that makes me as a person, like understand what makes humans tick in a way that not a lot of filmmakers um, like understand how to, how to accomplish, Um, which is that's, incredible that he's like one of if not the only director working right now who like fully understands like how to how to reach into the heart and soul of any human who's watching his movie and like able to connect with them on a human basis absolutely i agree with you 100 percent. i think i think the key thing that differentiates him is that he's so committed to storytelling, uh, mm-hmm. just the simple art of, of telling a story. Um, the very first scene of the movie is our two main characters meeting. We see them from point A in their relationship 
until literally the last frame of the movie and what their journey has amounted to. With spoilers, here's this, the end of the movie. The what? two of them end up together, and the very last line of the movie is, I love you, Gary. Uh, and it's he so simple, but it's... It is so simple. And what's amazing about it is he doesn't say it back, not because he doesn't love her. He does love her. He doesn't have to. He's loved her from the moment they met, from that mm-hmm. first scene. He tells his younger brother, I met the girl I'm going to marry. And that's what's so beautiful about this movie is our two leads, one of the... And, and what's sort of weird about it is he's 15 and she's 25. Um, yeah, I think that's the issue that people have, but I think it it sort of misses the, the point of the right. movie. The, 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 I think the reason PTA chose to have that age difference is, is those are two very key times in growing up, uh, learning mm-hmm. to be an adult. And the difference between Gary and Alana, also, by the way, this a uh, Cooper Hoffman, who plays Gary Valentine, this is his debut. This is his acting debut. Both, uh, of, both of them. Yeah, right. Because Alana's a, a musician. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it very impressive the two of them. But I think that works so well because you know, this isn't a story about two actors playing characters. This is a story about just two two peeps, two young people, yeah. um, trying to figure themselves out. Right, and it's it's about how one on this younger side, this younger age looks at the world and in her eyes she thinks that he sees everything happening as opportunities for him and that he's an opportunist when Mm -hmm. really all he's trying to make her realize is that it's not opportunities that he's realizing he's living in the moment he's he's enjoying what he can with what's happening around him in an attempt to share it with her and so Mm -hmm. what's interesting about him is that he doesn't change too much over the course of the film. It's her that does the changing. She's mm-hmm. the one who has to go through all of these things that happen and all these people she meets to realize the value in him, the value he saw in her from the second the film started rolling. I just think it's so Which interesting is, how it's crafted that way. It's amazing. The 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 first scene of the movie tells you everything that you need to that you need to know. It's like a it's a very it's one of those no no fat on the on the movie kind of thing. Like it's it's like whiplash. Like you you're introduced to the two characters, to your two main characters, you understand the relationship and you understand that the rest of the movie is about this relationship and us exploring what's going on with these two to eventually get to a, a point of resolution at the end. Um and in this case it's, you know, Alana finally saying, Gary, I love you. Like that is such a simple choice. But it it's so the impact is just like it's it's huge to to just know that that's what you're in for that that's the ride that you're in for. There's no twist along the way. There's no like turns. There's no although it seems like a lot of the movie is like these like side quests for like different things, whether it be like the 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 waterbed sales or um, you know Alana getting into politics or whatever like. It is. It keeps the whole thing focused um, because we know from the opening scene, like what this movie is going to be about and where we eventually need to to end up. Um, I will say on the thing about Gary, like being an opportunist, I think it's. I think that is like important um, in terms of uh, the age that's represented um, through his character. Like he's he's a 
teenager. He's about like 16 or 17 or something. So like, just think about like how most people are at that age. Like you, you assume you still have this like bravado about you where you can totally grab life by the balls and like do whatever the hell you want. Like that's a really important time in someone's life. Like you said, and it's a, it's really different from how you are at 25 by 25. The world has kind of already beaten you down a little bit. Like it's kind of chipped away at you and you're, you're trying to like build yourself back up to, to finally like, you know, fully realize yourself as, as an adult human, um, which is what Alana is trying to do. And she does that in all of the different endeavors that she tries to, to pursue. Um, and she's never able to realize them, but like, those are two critical points in someone's young adult life. And like, I don't think, like you said, it's not, it's not an accident that those are the two ages that, that PTA chose for these characters. Like, it's not just to make like, a, a, you know, a relationship that uh, that has an age difference that makes you uncomfortable. It's it it is about like what is happening to you know a, a given human at that point in time in their development. A- absolutely, um, and I mean, I feel like so. Here's the thing, I, and I I saw some negativity about this mm-hmm. online, and and what's tricky about this movie is it makes you think. Wait, wait, like, wait! You saw oh, negativity online? Wait. Yeah. I know it's hard to believe. It was the first, the first time I've ever experienced it in my surfing of the of, of the interwebs. Yeah. It's usually funny. a very positive, yeah. wonderful place, especially regarding <laughs> opinions in film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, so this movie, it couldn't work were the roles reversed. If he was twenty five and she was fifteen. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it it wouldn't right like it it wouldn't be able to get made it would be panned people would be so uncomfortable with it right so mm-hmm. I'm but I think beyond that it wouldn't make sense for the characters yes I think Gary oh. being a younger man um and his, his like that sort of bravado like it only works if he's a young man it doesn't work if he's a teenage woman or teenage girl I guess you're not supposed to say teenage woman. I guess, I guess. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It felt weird coming out of my yeah, mouth. teenage woman. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess it does make sense. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me that, I don't, and I don't really, this is just a thought that I have. I don't really, mm-hmm. I'm not really asking a question. And even if I were, I don't even think that I know or have any idea of what the answer to it could be that were more or less by the end of it at least comfortable with their relationship it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that that's how it it comes across and that's how it's portrayed to us like there's nobody in the movie aside from alana who's like using it as an excuse not to love him nobody in the movie is like chastising them for ha- hanging out like she mm-hmm. asked her sister is it weird that i'm hanging out with these 15 year olds i don't think it's weird uh bradley coops who we'll talk about in a second asks uh gary if alana's his girlfriend he says no he says why not (laughs) like constant little side uh side remarks like that to Mm -hmm. make you think like oh um i guess it's fine i guess this isn't something we should be concerned with because like you're saying that's not what the movie's about like the movie's not about their age difference it just so happens that 
that's what's interesting about the dynamic between the two characters is the two places. It's also they are not. Lives. It's not like uh, uh, this. this I don't know if I even want to like get into this conversation, but like here goes nothing. It's not like she's um, like, she is actively like courting him as a, as a, as a child. Like she's not like, Oh man, I totally want to kiss this 15 year old boy. It's like Gary has this, uh, this weird like infatuation with her that she doesn't return until they're both able to like mature to a point where they can, be together in a relationship like it's not like she is she like she's never pursuing him or anything like that and i think that would also like that would make the movie a lot more uncomfortable in terms of of the whole like age dynamic um i don't know if i'm just like rationalizing for myself because i like the movie and i want to ignore anything that might be you know somewhat unacceptable about the relationship but i do think that like the way that it's sort of laid out and that it's gary who is like head over heels in love with her it's like almost like it's like a big crush like he says he's in love with her but at 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 15 at 16 like the amount of women i said that are like older people older women who i said i I was you know gonna marry someday is like it's in the thousands (laughs) damn (laughs) you got a lot of love to give dude (laughs) Dude, so much I so much love. <laughs> yeah. Um well that I mean that's true and I think what's interesting and and this is why I think that the side quests as you put it I like that uh <laughs> are so highlighted particularly regarding Alana is because there's always a man at the mm-hmm. center of these side quests uh for her and they never quite fulfill her in the way that she's hoping they would. Nor mm-hmm. do they fill her in the way, uh, so to speak, uh, that <laughs> that Gary does. Um, Gary ultimately, from the get go, like yes, he says he loves her. He's obviously infatuated with her. She knows that he likes her romantically. Um, but mm-hmm. ultimately, what he is first and foremost is her friend. So much of what he's doing with her and for her is to try to better her life. Whether it's bringing her in on selling the waterbeds, trying to get her Mm -hmm. an agent to act. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. when she goes out and and does it herself, when she's working for photography at the school, uh, the photographer slaps her ass, sees her as an object. Uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, the the film producer, uh, Mm -hmm. sees her also as a sex object and is like hitting on Mm -hmm. her in the truck. Uh, The congressman she works with sees her as an object that he can use to prevent the public from knowing that he's homosexual. It's just rather than seeing her as a person, they all seem with, uh, with Sean, Sean Penn and, uh, and the other producer, like she's literally, she's like a, she's a chess piece. She's a pawn to, to be used for like whatever personal gain, uh, like they're, they're hoping to get. Right. They, she, she's a, a a fill in for Grace Kelly. Uh, to mm-hmm. the Jack Holden actor character. So the last line she says to him before they part ways is, do you even know my real name or, or something like that? Because yeah. Of course he doesn't because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about her. He cares no, it's about, all about what, him. Right. It's all about him. And all he cares about regarding her is what she might represent to him, not what she really is or what she's really about. Whereas, yeah. I, and, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say you brought, you bring up an important point that like, yes, Gary says that he loves her, but it it's not like, it's not really in a 
a, a romantic love that th- this isn't a romantic love story. Like this isn't a rom-com. This is their relationship. It's really, it's like more emotional. Like they're, they, they serve as emotional support for one another. It's like almost a platonic relationship, but it's not quite there, but it is. Um, it's the way that you like, that you love a friend who's, who's been there for you for years or like not even in a, in a way, like the way that you love, like a sibling, like they're, the, their love in this story that that's being built isn't around like, oh man, I just want to like kissy kissy, smoochy smoochy. It's like, wow, you make me better as a person. You build me up as a person, and I appreciate you for being there to do that for me. A- um, absolutely. Um, and I think what's so interesting too is that all these other male characters in her side quests they are adults. They have their lives mm-hmm. more or less. And I say this with air quotes figured out. Right. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, regarding like regarding Gary, he's a kid, he's 15 years old. He doesn't have his life figured out. And yet he's more put together than most of these uh, people that she comes across. He's mm-hmm. an accomplished uh, young actor. He's a businessman. He like, he owns a store. Like what the fuck? He owns Dude, a he's a pinball store. wizard. He's a pinball. He he sells pinball. Uh, uh, he has people coming and play pinball. He uh, uh, he sells waterbeds. Like a, a, every a, the, the most famous restaurant in town knows him and has like yeah. a table for him. He's fifteen. He's like oh, he's also Gary. like a mar- he's a marketing consultant. <laughs> yeah, it's like what the fuck? And what I think is so funny and what I really appreciate is that the movie doesn't really care to elaborate why. That's just no. who he is. He's that guy. That's just Gary. Yeah, That's Gary, Gary, man. Everybody Gary is that knows guy. Gary. Everybody knows Gary in this movie. It's insane. Dude, they should call it Everybody Loves Gary. Oh, shit. Get it'll Ramana. star your, your good friend, Ray Romano. My brother's tall. Yeah, I can't. Domestic life. Ray Romano impression. Um, um, yeah, I do have. A, I have a question for you. Yes, please. If you want to ponder this for a little bit, I would love to. When I was watching this movie, I was getting uh, was getting hints of another film that came out pretty recently that you and I did not dig on so much. It's this might be a stretch comparison, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. This felt like a version of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah. I think that this movie does everything that that movie – maybe not everything. But this movie does a lot of the things that that movie wanted to do in terms of being a a hangout movie about Hollywood of yesteryear – uh, about an actor who's kind of aging out of his of his acting life, and he's trying to figure out what to do in the next stages. Um, as a love letter to LA and to the film industry, I think that this movie did a lot of those things way better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if it had human emotions, it would be jealous of licorice pizza that uh that is a fair assessment raf and it's 
It's interesting that you say that because numerous times while watching it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did pop into my head. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there are obvious comparisons between the two, like you just said. Um, It's a love letter to L.A. uh, and it's a love letter to the time period. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's about these people in Los Angeles uh, in the seventies, once upon a time in Hollywood, is that the sixties, the right? It's 69. 69. But it's like, you know, the world, the world is changing in both of these films. And like, people are now trying to find their place in both films mm-hmm. in this new world. I think the fundamental difference in the, and I agree with you. I think the reason you, that we find licorice pizza more palatable, aside mm-hmm. from the fact that I think from certain, uh, objective standpoints, it's, it's better put together. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it's just so much more just palatable and welcoming in mm-hmm. such a way rather than once upon a time in Hollywood is what's interesting is that both of these films are kind of like fairy tales. Obviously mm-hmm. once upon a time in Hollywood's not so subtle about it. It's literally yes. it's in the title. It's what <laughs> yeah. could have been, what might've been. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is, this movie is like, Oh, well maybe this happened. I hope it happened because it's so lovely. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is like this movie is it's ultimately it's 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 messages that this connection between these two people can work and it should work. Whereas like what is really Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about? It's like, okay, yes, we have the setting, we have the time period, but what is it really trying to communicate to us? You know, like what is it what is it? What if the Manson murders didn't happen? Right. Um Okay, thanks, Quentin. Right. And, and what's, you know, what's so weird about them, not to uh, derail my train of thought to mm-hmm. for that film, but what's interesting about it is that Quentin has said a lot that, oh, the movie is, is a love letter to uh, Sharon Tate. But it's, it, you can say that all you want, but when you watch it, it's not the case at all. She's hardly in the movie and she, it's just her involvement is uh, purely from a storytelling standpoint, happenstance just based on where she lives. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Like the movie doesn't really explore her character very much. Margot Robbie is good in is, it, but you know. This movie is all about character. Mm-hmm. It's literally all, that's that's all that it's about. Um, I read something funny online. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it was Twitter or Reddit or whatever, but someone said uh, PTA movies are all just about two weirdos. Um, who are like playing mind games with each other. <laughs> and like, once you figure that out, they're super enjoyable. And it's like, yeah, dude, like that's what, that's what this movie is. It's two weirdos who don't know how to like properly communicate how they're feeling with each other. So, or feel, feel about each other. So they do these, like these weird mind games where Gary is, you know, selling water beds or Alana is, choosing to be a staffer for a dude running for, you know, Congress or whatever. Um, and like, they're doing those things because they don't know how to, how to like properly say what it is that they're feeling. Um, and at the end of the day, like they, they do end up together, but <clears throat> I just love the idea of all of his movies being a, about that one thing. Um, and this movie is like a prime, primetime example of it um i agree 100 percent, and it couldn't be more accurate and i think if you were to sit paul thomas anderson down and say that to him and ask him about it he would say oh yes absolutely i i thought mm-hmm. that i was being clear about that um and i think the reason his films work so well and the reason they're so compelling is because 
forget about action scenes, however mm-hmm. well constructed they may be or exciting or whatever. Forget about well-made CGI. You know, forget mm-hmm. about murder mysteries. Forget about comedies. The most compelling thing you can do, and this is why his movies, who when you describe them, they're very simple, and it's almost like, mm-hmm. oh, would I enjoy watching that? It seems kind of boring. The most interesting thing that you can put on screen are two people with counter interests Mm -hmm. because they're both working for something different. And as a result, they have to work against each other constantly Mm -hmm. for two hours. And it's so interesting to watch two well-acted parts in a well-written piece of material that's also well-directed and visually looks nice (laughs) where that constant dramatic tension is occurring that's all it takes is you get two good characters and they're working at odds against each other you have gary and alana in this you have um daniel plainview and eli in there will be blood you have uh philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix in the master you have um the dressmaker in his muse in phantom thread it's just in all of his movies this this is the one thing that sticks out it works. You have it two works. powerful people trying to both do something, and sometimes that something they're both trying to do works in parallel with one another, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's what's interesting is to see the scenes back and forth when it does and then when it doesn't and how the relationships evolve as a result. That The whole, the whole movie is like a push and pull. It's a that, tug of war between the two, and they're trying to get onto the same page but it never, you know, it doesn't happen until the end. And you don't realize, um, you don't really realize like the ride that you're being taken, taken along for Like, right. I think that's, that's one of the cool things about a movie like this is like how it's so easy to get lost in it. Um, because it is so simple, but it's so well made. Um, and it is at the end of the day, like, it's just about like, like you said, you know, CGI is cool. Action sequences are cool. Laughs are cool. But like what people are really interested in in their stories is humanity. Like people, we are people are interested in stories about people. And if you can convey uh, feelings that people have and that people can connect to, people are going to like whatever art it is that you're making. And if you can do that in a way that is well crafted and well constructed because you are someone who is very detail oriented and cares about what it is that you're crafting. You care about every line of dialogue. You care about every shot. You care about every music cue. You care about the edits between shots. Like that is something that people are going to connect to. You don't need a lot of flash. You just need to do what you're doing very, very well. And that's what Paul Thomas Anderson does. Absolutely. And it's sick. It is sick. A movie is not cool because a wizard opens up another universe <laughs> and we see a character from a uh, 2000s film in it. Uh, that's I don't know. It would have been pretty cool. – it would have been sick if, if uh, Adam Sandler from Punch Trunk Love uh, showed oh up in God. the middle of this. Fucking uh, – yeah, there's some, there's some news bulletin like on <laughs> fucking – Alana or or Gary's wall being like the Plainview family finds oil in the Middle East and, and <laughs> Gary's like oh maybe I should get in the oil business yeah there's no bullshit like that dude the PTA the PTACU <laughs> oh my god it's dude it'd be so easy it'd be so much easier um a movie is cool 
not because of shit like that. <laughs> it's cool when you focus around a character who all they want to do is find their place on this planet. And you have another character who's desperately trying to explain to them over the course of the film, you've already found your place. I have your place right here. That's <laughs> interesting. Everyone can relate to that. People can't relate to walking through a dimension and seeing Patrick Stewart sitting on a throne. Nobody can relate to that. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it's uh, it's not flashy. It's not look at me. It's just, it's all very, very, it's, it's like, it's concise and it's, it's direct. It's purposeful. It all has meaning. It all has, um, it's all working towards a greater goal. It's not just like Paul Thomas Anderson could make movies that are like, look at me, you know, I'm Paul Thomas Anderson and I know how to do like long tracking shots or um, like a grand sweep and zoom or like something like that. Like he could do all that stuff because we know that he's capable, but he only does it when it makes sense within the context of the movie that he's making. And I think that that's something that like that gets lost in a lot of filmmaking. Like I think Quentin Tarantino does this and like, I think he did it in, in once upon a time in Hollywood. Like that movie felt so look at me, I'm Quentin Tarantino. And this is all the stuff that I can do in a movie. And it's like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And Paul Thomas Anderson understands that he's like, I'm only going to use the tools within my tool bag of filmmaking. If it makes sense for the movie that I'm making at that point. And that's, again, that's what Liquor's Pizza does. Absolutely. It's simply like, what foot are you starting with? Are you start, is your first step style or is your first step substance? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it feels like, you know, something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, rather than being concerned about the substance of it, it's all about, oh, look at our style. Whereas you take something like Liquor's Pizza and it's like, it has immense substance. It's about something. And now that we've decided what it's about, now we're going to drench it in style. And that's yeah, when it yeah. Works. that's exact. That's exactly when it works. Yeah. When you've you've already done you've done that first step, and then you know you have someone like Paul Thomas Anderson who's just like, you know what? Let's take this shit to the next level, and you can do that. And then everything else rises to that level um, because you have an awesome filmmaker who just knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah, it's wild. Know, the a scene that pops into my head is um, there's actually two of them. It's, my two mm -hmm. favorite scenes in the film, uh, one involving uh, Alana and the other child actor, Lance, and the other scene involving Bradley Cooper and Gary, uh, mm -hmm. the first time they meet. And I, I love them both, not only because I think they're the best written scenes in the film, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the penis conversation between Alana and Lance, where she's, the, the, she's <sighs> like, what does your penis look like? He's like, yeah. it looks like a regular penis, I guess. Uh, is that before like, or after the dinner table scene? That's after, after the dinner table <laughs> scene. And she's like grilling him on whether he's circumcised or not. But just the scene itself is inherently. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no this was something that I wanted to talk about. But it's after the scene where, where the like, what is it, the father like? They're having a. Uh, they're 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 having Shabbat dinner, and the father's like, "Can you bless the food for us or something?" And he's like, "I can't. I'm atheist." <laughs> <laughs> um, but sorry, no, no, no go, absolutely, go no. It's exactly say. that. It's it's the way it's shot and framed, and the way the camera moves. Like that conversation 
is it, it is inherently funny, but what it's about is her proving a point to him, her grilling him. Mm-hmm. And the way the camera moves is reflective of the character's action in the scene. It's a te- it's a tennis match back and forth between these two mm-hmm. characters. And the camera literally zooms back and forth between the two of them like a fucking camera would at a tennis match. It's amazing. It's fantastic. <laughs> Filmmakers watch that fucking scene. It's it's amazing. <laughs> um, and then the other one with Bradley Cooper and Gary mm-hmm. um when they first meet and he's like ripping him, threatening him. Like, if you fuck up my house, I'm going to shove something up your pee hole or whatever, <laughs> whatever the fuck he's talking about. That one is, is, is much more simply framed, but it works. It's like Bradley Cooper's looking down on him. The camera POV is low. Bradley Cooper's domineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and vice versa, when the camera's on Gary, the camera angle's high and Gary's powerless. The first time he's ever really powerless in the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, because he's so sure of himself and arrogant all the time Uh, so it's just simple things like that that communicate intention and characterization and character standing are exactly what uh scene work framing and a camera is supposed to do it's it's like what we talked about um when we talked about silence of the lambs like okay like licorice pizza is this a movie that is like cinematically like is it is it good? Is there like good cinematography in this? And it doesn't. Good cinematography doesn't mean that you're doing you know one perfect shot for me to grab a, a still and put on my Instagram of like look how beautiful this looks, or or anything like that. Like it's about how you use the, that tool or those tools to further tell and like give your audience an understanding of the story that you are telling. Like. It's how you make them understand like what a particular moment means for where we are within a story. And like, that's good cinematography. It doesn't need to be something that's super flashy or anything. It's just, it just needs to be purposeful. Absolutely. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is that this movie is fucking hilarious. Yes. Like this movie was, I was surprised. Like I saw this in a theater by myself and I was laughing out loud. Like this movie is actually really funny and it's, it's easy to forget that someone like Paul Thomas Anderson, when his last movie was Phantom Thread, like he is a dude who can just like make something that is hysterical, um, which is pretty awesome that you can make something as like profound and deep and masterful as There Will Be Blood. But you can also just make a hella funny movie. Like not a lot of people can do that. Todd Phillips thinks he can, but he, he can't do it. <laughs> Um, but that's an excellent Adam point. Adam McKay thinks he has the ability, but like, yeah, it's true. You don't, <laughs> but, but that's the thing, right? Is that some of what we're talking about, like humor that doesn't work is because it's, you can literally put yourself in the room where these scenes are created and they're just like, Oh, this is the funny scene, or this is the funny moment, or this is where we'll mm-hmm. get a laugh. It's like, no, these scenes in these PTA films, they're funny because these movies aren't comedies. They're inherently, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dramas, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, but the best comedic moments happen like in life to cut the drama, to cut the serious nature of what it means to be alive. Um, when Alana is, it's not just like cheap jokes. Like right. they all make right. sense within the progression of, of where we're going with things. Right. What's, 
what's funny about the scene where she's grilling Lance is not that she's talking about his penis. What's funny is well, the penises point. are funny. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny. The dialogue is funny. But, <laughs> yeah. but what's really humorous about it is what it means to her and how angry she is and the point she's trying to make regarding his penis. Like, yeah. that was funny. <laughs> like, what his penis represents for right. her in her life at that moment. Right, exactly. Which exactly. is like a silly sentence, but it <laughs> it is also, like, his penis is purposeful. In yes. this in this point in time, just like the framing of the camera is purposeful. Yes, um, his penis a, matters. It is a purposeful penis. Yeah. Um, I do love that actor, though. Oh yeah. What do I know him from? I recognized him, but I couldn't. He's quite... in stuff. He's yeah. in stuff for yeah. sure. Um, Everyone who's in this is phenomenal. Oh yeah. Just gonna, cast, just gonna drop that there. Even everyone's all, there. Some characters who have like two lines, they're excellent. Um, yeah. The fact that we've gone this long and I haven't mentioned my my love for Alana Heim and what she did in this movie, um, it, it's pretty wild. I've been let's, raving and raving about PTA. Let's but, talk about Alana in just one second. I want to say one thing sit. about about the framing that you were talking mm-hmm. about a second ago. Um, you know, regarding it being purposeful and communicating to an audience something, even if they don't realize it. Uh, Red Letter Media who's this mm-hmm. film review YouTube uh, channel who I adore. They, they got their popularity by doing the star Wars prequel reviews. Um, he, he tears into them, um, but he's talking about, you know, uh, subtext and subtleties mm-hmm. in filmmaking. And what he says is regarding these choices that are made in good films, you might not notice it, but your brain mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And I think exactly. about that a lot. It's like, when you're watching a movie, you know, aside from us, because we're actively paying attention to those things because we want to talk about those things when we meet up and record. But mm-hmm. when you're watching a movie, I still miss turn- half of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you don't always, you're like the first time you might watch a scene, you're like, wow, that was a great scene. And you don't even realize why, when the truth is when you're watching a great scene, everything that's being put in front of you is contributing to why that scene is great, whether it's natural lighting or the framing of the camera or mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the way a hair is hanging off somebody's face, yeah. that the hair department, like so carefully tried to have sit still for the duration of the scene. All those things contribute. Or if a score is picking up, like whatever right, it is. Right. Yeah. A very distant theme that maybe you heard in another scene that relates to the scene you're currently watching. All these things, they all contribute to it. And it always makes me think about, oh, you might not realize it, but your brain did. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of my issues with like, um, like the focus that, and this is, this is going to sound bad because you're an actor, but like the focus (laughs) that we give to, to acting and like dialogue when we say that a movie is good or not, because there are so many other factors that go into how we respond to movies that are outside of those things. Um, and I think it's cool when we're able to, when we're able to understand what those other things are that are happening within a movie and why that equals positive responses from us. Um, I don't know why I felt, felt the need to add that. No, but no. I do. Re- I, I do respect actors. No, absolutely. Uh, I don't. Um, so, <laughs> so talk to me about Alana. I want, I want to hear your, Dude, Alana, it's um, 
look, man, I think the easy, I wrote this in my, in my review. Um, the easy word to throw around is like revelation um, because it's so like, it's so hard for someone to come in from another profession and act in a movie. Like if you're a singer, like you're probably not a good actor. If you're a basketball player, like you're probably not a good actor. Um, you know, things like that. And I don't, I don't know if it, if it was just a perfect storm of, of, of her, this movie, the script, PTA, um, and all of that. Like, I don't know if she would be good in anything else, but the performance that PTA got from her in this movie. And it's like wild because he's not just asking her to be in a movie. He's asking her to be the emotional anchor of a very, you know, emotional movie. And she pulls it off. She like, she knocks it out of the ballpark. She's amazing in in every scene that she's in. She, she has this, like this screen presence and this, like, she like commands that the camera, like be on her in a way that not a lot of people, even people who we know as actors, like can do. She, her, her presence is just, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's definitely not like anything I've ever seen out of someone acting um, as the lead in their first movie. Um, I just, I think about it a lot, um, how good she was in this film. And I don't know if you have any, like you might have more insight as, as an actor, as like someone who is trained in this profession of like what she, and even, you know, like Cooper, like what they were able to do in this movie um, that makes their performances so good. So I, I, I think the, I mean, it boils down to, to two things, which I'll get into, but fundamentally between the two of them is I think that what's demanded of them in terms of uh, action, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of emotion is at its core very simple. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that it's easy. The simplest, the communicating the simplest things on screen to appear naturalistic is insanely difficult. But, you know, there's no scene where either of them have to, like, lament over a corpse of a dead family member or anything like that, right? Yeah. They, they, <laughs> so far as I know, maybe I missed the name of the movie. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, what's, what's great about them is PTA found two people uh, two very naturalistic individuals to play these two roles who are just what these actors are. They're just people. Um, and it boils down to two, two trains of thought regarding the profession and craft that is acting. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it boils down to that, uh, you know, that famous thing that, uh, Olivier said to Hoffman, Oh, try acting my dear boy. Um, <laughs> when Hoffman, instead of like, like doing like the whole like method thing. Yeah. Um, some actors are like very much about method and like getting in the headspace of a character and mm-hmm. like living their lives as they would the character. Uh, Bradley Cooper is very much like that um, mm-hmm. recently, and it, it works very well for him. He was great in this, by the way. I really enjoyed him. Yeah. Um, but with these two, it's like it didn't feel like they had any tr- acting training or even mm-hmm. needed any acting training. These are just two people speaking as young human beings to one another uh, who are present, who are saying what they feel. And I think the key thing for both of them, particularly Alana, because you you know, you asked why she's so effective in this. It's all in her eyes, man. 
Uh, mm. Her eyes are both receiving everything that's happening to her, and even mm. when she's not speaking or communicating to us how she feels. She's just always present and in the moment. And not only as a character is she compelling to watch, but just as as an actress, as an individual, she's compelling to watch because she's not. There's no fat on her performance or on uh, Gary's performance. They're just, you know, they're there. They have their scene. They know what they what they want when they go into mm-hmm. the scene. Uh, they're not like they don't have accents. They're not, you know, they don't have like uh, a kink in their step in terms of how they walk. There's no weird yeah. characterization. <laughs> uh, they just they approach it from I have this scene and I want this by the end of this scene. I'm going to play towards getting that thing. It's as simple as that. And what's interesting is that. And I, I feel like this, I, I, I thought about Daniel Day-Lewis's performances, Daniel Plainview a lot while watching this movie mm-hmm. and how something like this powerhouse performance of his uh, could be matched uh, in terms of enjoyment as a film as simple as Licorice Pizza in mm-hmm. that he's, in spite of his physicality and his accent and his intense decades worth of training, uh, He's just doing what they're doing. He has this scene as Daniel Plainview, and he needs to get this piece of paper signed so he can take the oil. And every scene, he has to deal with this one person who won't let him get this fucking piece of paper signed. That's it. That's all it is. It's so simple, and it amounts to excellent drama, I think. I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, the answer has to be PTA, but like, how do you. How can you direct one extreme that is the ultimate method actor, like way too serious, probably a pain in the ass to deal with Daniel Day-Lewis and get a great performance out of him in in There Will Be Blood and in Phantom Thread. And then on the other extreme, you get to work with, uh, you know, your your late friend's son and uh, the youngest sister from a band that you like who have never acted in anything before and you get a great performance out of them too. Like who the hell is able to do that? Like how, I don't understand like what, what quality as a director, like someone would have to have to be able to pull off both of those things to pull off. One of those things is hard enough, but he PTA has pulled off both. Um, the, to answer your question, uh, I've been watching a lot of master chef recently. Um, <laughs> And I think about something that Gordon Ramsay says a lot is that a good chef can make an excellent restaurant worthy dish regardless Mm -hmm. of the quality or variety of their ingredients. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you could like you think about like Daniel Day Lewis as these fresh scallops. Like, of course, (laughs) of course, uh, a chef can make an amazing steered scallop. Dude, it's, it's time for the food analogy. Yeah. Uh, wait for this or then not to compare uh you know alana heim to tilapia but you know you say you get uh, a cut of tilapia, tilapia. You can, you can, you can <laughs> not to compare it to it but yeah if you understand it. the flavor of tilapia and what to pair it with you can make that tilapia fucking sing dude it's <laughs> just it's just a director who understands how to work with a variety of ingredients that's all it is. It's, but it's, 
I get that that's all it is, but it still baffles me that oh, he's yeah. able to, I mean, to pull that off. I'm I mean, in uh, uh, complete uh, awe of his his ability to, here, to make here's, that happen. Here's a, a, I think like an easier um, anecdote. Dumb it uh, down for in me. Comparison, sure, of course, of course. I don't want it to go over <laughs> your head. Uh, yeah. Is it, take a lesser director. Mm-hmm. You will always get a good performance out of Daniel Day Lewis, regardless of the direction you give him. Mm. A good director can get a great performance out of anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I'm directing a movie, Daniel Day Lewis is in it. He's still going to be great. Absolutely. If I'm if I'm directing a movie and I put myself in it, it's it's going to be trash. Probably, yeah. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm tilapia, but I'm also the chef. Yes, it's true. <laughs> I'm a bad chef making bad tilapia. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. There you go. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I feel like all right. While we're on the topic, and I know we're we're kind of long, but um, but I, this movie is like it's too good that I'm down to keep talking about it for a little bit. Um, down to go over the the hour mark. Um, we've alluded to it a lot, but I want to get your thoughts on on. Uh, Brad Cooper. Yes. Um, I think, like I said before, I think he's great in this. Um, I've, I mean, you know, I'm kind of biased because <laughs> name drop. I've worked with the guy. Um, he's, he's a, he's a very, very nice man. Um, I've heard. And he's extremely committed to his craft. You know, it's interesting to see the trajectory of his career, you know, He's his first big break, I guess, was Wedding Crashers, and then The Hangover. He like, was in Wet Hot American Summer before right, that. Wet American Summer, uh, yeah. and then The he Hangover the really skyrocketed him, mm-hmm. I think. And then he started worked uh, with the great his, Todd Phillips on that. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then after the success of that, he's like, "Oh, I don't want to be the comedic uh, pretty boy or whatever. I want to be taken as a serious actor." And so he did The Elephant Man. He did a bunch of Broadway stuff. He did uh, a bunch of smaller indie films, um, mm-hmm. eventually started directing films. He's really paved the way to be a name in the upper echelon of Hollywood, uh, which is great because normally I would say, oh, who cares? Like, this is all fake and phony. But the guy really backs it up. He is very mm-hmm. good at what he does. He's a great actor. He's a great director. He understands what he's doing. But I really love seeing him in small roles like this where he really gets to fly off the handle and play a small part that typically he wouldn't otherwise be cast in. Like he only Mm -hmm. has really like two or three scenes in this and they're pretty short, but he's so memorable in those scenes. He's probably like the most memorable part of the movie. Oh, absolutely. It's because he gets to be so off the wall. Right, exactly. Uh, I don't think he shows up until like an hour and 20 into the film. No, um, it's great because like all the, like the early like like the the photo the set photo leaks it was like of Bradley Cooper in that in like his white pants you're like oh dude like new PTA movie starring Bradley Cooper this looks rad and then he's only in like 15 minutes of the movie and it's still rad yeah exactly uh, yeah because the movie's not about him what any no. what's interesting is any good actor regardless of the size of role um. Mm-hmm will make their performance memorable when they understand the puzzle piece that their performance is and how it relates to the greater finished puzzle of the film. I'm sure Bradley mm-hmm. looked at the script and was like, 
oh, okay, I, I see what this is. Like, I'm this little scenic anecdote of, um, what's the right word? Mayhem uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the otherwise serenity of these two people's lives. And, and, and that's it. And now I get to be creative with that, knowing that that's what my purpose is here in the film. Um, and he plays it great. Uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, even though it's like a two scene role, you mm-hmm. know that he did research into John Watts and like, what was this guy like? like yeah. And I think he just really hits a homer with it. I think he, he is, he's nominated for, for best supporting. Um, is he? I'm pretty well. I know he is for for the Screen Actors Guild Awards. I'm sure he will be for the Oscars as well. But sag, sag, dude, nice sag drop. Drop your sag, bro. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of of like all of these of well, not all of these, but of Bradley Cooper in his little scene um, and what it means for like the greater puzzle piece of the movie. I feel like the whole movie is these little puzzle pieces like almost these like sort of vignettes of uh of these happenstances that either alana or gary or alana and gary find themselves in and like i think bradley his is is the most over the top so it's the most memorable but i think even like like benny safty as the congressman or sean penn as the old actor um is it was it tom Tom Waits or whatever who played the uh the producer. Yep. Like he's great too. The woman who played uh who played the the casting um agent, like she's a, she's amazing. Uh, yes, Mary, scene, Mary Elizabeth El- Oh no, not Mary Elizabeth Ellis. Um That was Harriet, uh, that was- Harriet Sansom Harris. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Even like oh, She was also in uh Phantom Thread. Well, even even Maya Rudolph. Uh shout out PTA's baby mama like even she gets a a, a small scene and she's amazing in it and like it's great that everyone understands that they are just these little pieces along the way and there was a point in the movie where i felt like okay is this just a weird like series of events that these that these two people find themselves in that gary and alana you know find themselves like stumbling into and at the end like we're gonna get no resolution because nothing's really happened um but then as they continue to happen um, and I think it's, I think it's in the, in the, uh, the dinner table scene with the, with the congressman that you realize that, oh, all of these, all of these meetings, all of these interactions that these two have been having with all of the, with these like wild cast of characters, they've all done something to, you know, push one or the both of them a little bit further to inch them a little bit further to like that final resolution that we're getting to. Um, and it's amazing how it, how it it doesn't like they don't fully reveal themselves as being that until the end until like the climax of the movie when it's the two of them running in opposite directions towards each other they're just like oh that's what we've been doing this entire time that's awesome um and again, absolutely like, yeah. it's literally two it's two people running in opposite directions realizing that they should be running towards each other and and yeah. like you said what's great about those little vignettes those little side quests is the whole purpose of, of them is to recontext that they may all seem disconnected, but they're not because the common mm-hmm. thread are our main characters who find themselves in them. They are mm-hmm. recontextualized after each of these events with these crazy side characters. 
And like you said, the most important one is with Benny Safdie, the congressman. And you can tell that it's important simply by the way it's filmed. The camera mm-hmm. is just on Alana, a reflection of Alana yeah. at the dinner table. And it's not even focused on the two people having the conversation. It's communicating to us as an audience that she's looking at herself, realizing that she has no place in these side mm-hmm. stories because that's all they are side stories. Her real story has been happening the whole time. She's just been blind to it. And she finally realizes that. Hence why she runs towards Gary at the end, ultimately it's leading brilliant. to the two of them being together. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, what's amazing it's just, is it, it's so like it's just such a simple storytelling device mm-hmm. and just ultimately simple story, but the execution of it is yeah. what makes it so fantastic, I think. It's it's wonderful. Um the whole thing is is absolutely it's delightful. This yeah. is this is one of the few times I've been like truly delighted by by a movie. Um and it yeah, it's it's awesome to a lot of the, the the things that you were able to notice um, and pick up on were not things that I noticed. Um, and like, I just walked away from this movie thinking, wow, that was really special. I wonder, I wonder why. And I haven't had the chance to, to you know, rewatch it um, and miss those things again. So I do thank you for, for bringing all these little filmmaking, uh, you know, techniques that PTA used uh, to help us, you know, get to that final point, uh, that climax of the movie that was just like, Oh, so brilliant. Um, and yet, yeah, dude, it left me grinning from ear to ear. Like a- I literally walked out of the theater mask on though, because sure? <laughs> of COVID. but you could um, still see uh, my eyes were smiling. <laughs> Unlike a lot of his other films. It's interesting. You mentioned rewatching this. This definitely is a feel good movie. Um, yeah. And I'm probably going to watch it again uh, this week at some point. And I don't think I've ever really done that with his other films. Uh, I don't no. think his other films are – it's not that they're not as good. I, I, I would argue that some of them are better, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're as rewatchable as this one is purely because of how heavy they are. And it's just like, oh, you got a mouthful of what we're feeding you. You don't need to come back again. You know what this tastes yeah. like. This is also a movie that like if it's like if it's ever on TV or something, like you can just jump into this movie at any point and you can either finish it through or like watch it for like – 20 or 30 minutes and you and you're good like you could just drop in watch like you know the 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 scene with uh with the other child actor talking about his penis and then you know you can either finish the movie or just watch that scene and you're like all right that's cool where <laughs> his other movie you can't just drop into the middle of there will be blood or like drop into the middle of phantom thread and like oh i'm gonna watch phantom thread for like 15 minutes and then and then dip <laughs> like you have to sit down and and watch that movie right. whereas this is like yeah this is something cool that you can dip in and out of um which is a cool thing for pta absolutely uh let's do a little pta post-mortem then we'll okay. score the film uh you mentioned oh, yeah. phantom thread that is that is the one movie of his that I saw that I wasn't sure how I felt about it when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one that I'm in desperate need of a rewatch of. I have a feeling I will rewatch it and love it. We should rewatch it soon. Yeah, we'll that, that could be a good it together. while we're on this. You should have watched it for uh, for Valentine's Day with Bay. Ah, uh, yes. That's a good. That's a good. Um, you know, romance flick. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, that said. Uh, I'm going to ask 
get your answer, and then I will answer. What is your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film? My favorite? Yes, if you have one. Dude, I... Okay, this is a tough question, bro. 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 Um, bro. Because they're kind of all my favorite. Um, Like, I love... The Master has a really special place in my heart because it kind of reintroduced me to Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, This movie for so many reasons feels very special to me and I could see it as being my favorite. Um, Phantom thread is unlike anything that I've ever seen. Um, so in a way that could be my favorite, but I think this is one of those instances where what I, what I think to be his best movie is also my favorite movie. And it's because of how good I think it is. I think there will be blood. I was thinking about this today. I think There Will Be Blood might be one of the five best movies ever made in the history of filmmaking. Um, um, I am so thrilled to hear you say that. Uh, there Will Be Blood is my answer as well. It is, it? Is, it is without mm-hmm. question, one of the best films I have ever seen. Five might be a stretch, but like certainly ten. In terms of just like, like the best movies ever made. It is it, what what's what's tricky is that it hits a soft spot for me. Mm-hmm. I love character pieces. I mm-hmm. love I love films like that that showcase an actor in a you complex character. Men. Say again, sorry. You you love oil men. <laughs> I love oil men. I'm an oil man. Um, <laughs> I've always shakes. been a BBL fan, and then I saw that and was like, this is just unbelievable. But what you know what it benefits from is the fact that it is a character study. And uh, acting showcase that also happens to be a fucking phenomenally shot film and told story. Uh, I just think it's so exciting, exceptional. It, it's we should do an episode on that too because that's that movie is just. I think yeah. if you look at my litter box, it's sometimes fluctuating, but that has just consistently been in like my top four yeah. featured on Letterbox. On like maybe your favorite movie of all time. Um, wow. Uh, I would say it's, it's probably top three. Yeah. That's, that's high praise, but I think it's deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there will be, but it's amazing. It's a five out of five. No question. Uh, yeah. Which leads us to this Raph, How would you score and would you recommend licorice pizza? Okay. To get the easy part of the question out of the way, a hundred percent, I would recommend licorice pizza. It's all, it's all that I've done for the last like three months since I've seen the movie is I I tell everyone who I know, you know, go see licorice pizza, go see licorice pizza, go see licorice pizza, see it in theaters. If you can go see licorice pizza. Um, I can't wait for, for the day that it's, you know, available on streaming or whatever. I might buy a physical copy. Like, this movie is awesome. It was, um, I think I've seen like most of the big, big dogs from 2021. Licorice Pizza is my favorite movie that came out last year. It is phenomenal. It's, it, it's amazing. There's, um, you know, there, there's not much more to say about it other than what we have said. Uh, the score might be a little surprising based on how much raving we've done about it. Um, but I gave this a four out of five. It could maybe bump up to a four and a half. Um, but four is still four to me is still like, whoa, 
you made something that is really, really sick. And I will easily recommend to, to anyone who has like any sort of enjoyment of film. So that's what I'm doing. Well, you echo my sentiments almost to a T. Uh, Yes. Like you, I would without question, 100% recommend this movie. I Mm -hmm. think that almost anyone could enjoy it. Um, I haven't seen as many of the heavy hitters this year as you have. I'm actually doing catch up right now. Uh, nice. But this is without question the best that I have seen from the past year. I can't imagine I'm going to watch anything that I'll enjoy more than this. Um, I, too, uh, rate this film a four out of five. And like you, the reason I do, I think it's great. I think it's mm-hmm. really great. I think it's something special. The reason it's only four out of five, though, is for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, I think at its core, it's just a hair too simple. Mm-hmm. And at some points, I feel like it meanders on just a moment too long in some instances. Yeah. But otherwise, it doesn't have that like degree of difficulty that like yeah. that like right. most fives have. Right, but you know, I'm not. You know, that's that's nitpicking. It's it's a phenomenal mm-hmm. film. It's masterfully made. It is well worth your time, regardless of what time it is. So check yeah. this movie out. Fantastic. I can't imagine anyone not liking this movie. Yeah. It seems like. I don't know. I just think if you're if you're someone who even like sorted digs movies, like you should watch this. There's something to enjoy. Absolutely. If you're a music fan and you like the band Heim, like check it out because all three Heim sisters are in it. That's right, and they're all great. What the fuck? Yeah, dude, they're all they're all amazing. I said I've said this online, but I'll say it again here. Um, all three Heim sisters appearing in Licorice Pizza, um, Infinite Greater Than Sign, all three Spider Man throwing up, showing up in No Way Home. They'll walk through so, portals, variants of the Himes. Yeah. <laughs> I would wa- I would watch that movie. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thousands of different Heim variants. The multiverse yeah. of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Italian Himes walk through. Yeah. It's me. Heim. <laughs> We're going to sing in the song. Mis- misleading title. Not one slice of pizza in the whole film. Unbelievable. No. Zero. Also, shout out uh, John C. Riley cameo. Yes, as, what a, what a hilariously nothing cameo. Yeah, um, amazing. Because the they're second, boys. The second he spoke that one line, I was like, "Oh, that was John C. Riley." <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Um, oh, also a quick little tidbit um, for anyone yeah. listening. So, not to get confused with what a cameo is, um, mm. like Bradley Cooper or Sean Penn in this movie, those aren't cameos. Having mm. multiple scenes in a film are not cameos. Uh, having one line and like being out of focus, like that's a cameo. That's okay. Cameo. John C. Riley. So what, what, what are, what are the other, what's Bradley Cooper? Like Bradley a, Cooper is a supporting character. Support. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. what I got. Raph. This Yo. has been such an enjoyable episode. It's so nice when we both love something and have nothing but yeah, nice dude. to say about it. It's uh, nice to here. love something. Hey, agreed. Yeah, exactly. Tell Alana that Alana should have learned that from the first scene. It uh, is. It's. <laughs> that's the point of the movie. It's nice to love things. We've we've been talking here for almost an hour and a half. The time has flown by. Yeah. We enjoyed this film so much. Raph, tell the people who you are and where they can find you. Yo, dog. I'm Raph Stitt at Raph Stitt online on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterbox, talking about movies and other dumb stuff. Um, also, if you want to find me writing about movies at more lengthy lengths. Um, you can check me out on Screen Age Wasteland. I have a review of Licorice Pizza 
Um, I thought it was that good that I felt the need to write some words down about it. Um, so you can check me out there. Michael, who the hell are you? Fantastic. Thank you, Ref. I am Michael Rocco, R-U-O-C-C-O. You can find me on the Instagrams at Michael underscore Romeo underscore Rocco underscore. That's R-U-O-C-C-O, Michael Romeo Rocco underscores in between and at the end. You can also find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Michael underscore Rocco, R-U-O-C-C-O. And you can find both Raf and I and the podcast proper at Straight to DVD Pod. That's the number two, Straight to DVD Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts. Dude, hell yeah. Hell yeah, my dude. Raf, as always, it's been a pleasure. This has been fun, man. This has been fun. Next, next time we'll balance it out with something that we hated. Something dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something absolutely awful. Can't wait. I'm sure we can find something. Yeah, there's one or two bad movies that have been made. Yeah. (laughs) All right, dude. All right, dude. It's been a pleasure. Until next time. Adios. Adios.